Bannon. Cut to. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. What is going on, guys? And welcome back to another episode. Yes, another one. Another one and another one of Restaurant Fiction, the podcast program that reviews every single fictional restaurant, bar, club, in TV and film, as well as talk about the screenwriting process. I am your host, Monis Rose, and in today's episode... We are reacquainting you with an old guest. Yes, this is part two, the continuation. You see, part one was our last episode, dot, 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 to be continued. This is that to be continued part. Part two, dose, deuce, ducks, however you pronounce it, it is the sequel with Dean Scholl, co-producer of the Ryan Reynolds film, Waiting. We are reviewing Shenanigans. If you want to catch the review of Shenanigans, please listen to part one. We are going to go right into the continuation of today's episode. Where did we leave off? Well, if you were paying attention, in part one, Dean discusses his creation of his own religion. It is called the Chupacabra Awareness Committee. Well, we are tying it all back into one in this episode, and he is going to tell us of how the Chupacabra Awareness Committee really has benefited him in being a producer and how it has really benefited him in getting waiting off the ground. We're not only talking about that, but also Dean is going to go deep into the writer and producer relationship, as well as he does probably the best and most kick-ass impression of Keanu Reeves I have ever heard. Here is the continuation part two of our interview with Dean Scholl, co-producer of the hit Ryan Reynolds film, Waiting. To bring it to Waiting, I will say that This accidental organization really gave me the confidence to try and produce a film, that along with producing some stuff at at Disney, some live uh, award shows. It gave us like the same group of people that helped sell t-shirts for the Chupacabra Awareness or the committee, the same people helped to promote waiting. We had a a fundraiser where we had like a guy from the show Stomp perform and bands play and comedy acts. And we had the people from the Chupacabra Awareness Committee selling t-shirts that said waiting on it to raise money for waiting. And I think eventually we took some of that money and spent it on a ticket to LA to try and uh, to get this all going. Not that that was the main reason that it got going, but it was definitely, if anyone's out there trying to make a film, you got to do things to keep the momentum going. Because once you lose the momentum, you're in trouble. And these fun little things along the way, whether it's a fundraiser or something, really just kept the energy up. It's just a fun-spirited project. Say you do make some kind of film 
about a chupacabra or even... I will not make a movie about the chupacabra. (laughs) I didn't really care about it that much. I think even Rob, the writer, got me like a a chupacabra movie. You know, you get all these chupacabra gifts and you're like, you know, I don't really care about this creature. It's just chupacabra knickknacks in my house. Put them in boxes now. Yeah, no chupacabra movie. What is the producer writer relationship like any advice for on the behalf of say a producer out there any advice on a writer yeah i think uh the writer should always do what the producer says (laughs) (laughs) no uh, rob is uh, is a good friend and a wisecracker part of the reason i connected with rob was over see i was in the tgi fridays there's a chick from the jungle cruise named summer that was in there and she had seen my show at universal the bill and ted excellent adventure show which was in their stunt arena um super fun show i don't think i've ever had more fun in my life than doing that show and anyway she's like oh this guy's a good actor i saw him in the show you should give him the script based on that and that's sort of how it started uh, you know initially it was just the two of us uh, on this for a while and like you know like to keep the momentum going we would have people come to the house and do table reads although we didn't have a table we just had a bunch of people doing a read. You know, we would try and move forward at whatever scenario we could. I think initially we were trying to make the movie for thirty grand because we could. So we were seeing what kind of talent we could get locally. Can we make this thing a small indie? Uh, and then while doing so, trying to raise money with a fundraiser. If you want to hear more in the nuance there, there's a wonderful moment where Chris Moore, who was uh, the guy that we met with, I think he was doing a movie called Joyride at the time. It was called Squelch, but later Joyride. He was producing with J.J. Abrams. We went to the set and, you know, we're a little bit starstruck because we just flew into Hollywood. They had come up with this wonderfully creative deal where they said, hey, if you guys want to make it for a small amount of money, that's cool. We want to make it. And Jeff Bayless and Chris Moore had come up with this idea to do a remake of our film while we were still making it. So... They're like, we want to make it. How about we do the, we get the remake rights and we make it. You guys can make the small one. We'll make the bigger one. And that way we won't cock block you from making the small version of the movie. It's kind of a genius idea because we weren't quite sure at the time that, you know, we didn't want to, stupid of us, but we didn't want to option it to Chris Moore who may or may not be able to get the studio money. Even though it was a a wonderful offer uh, at the time, we were like, well, we can just make it. He basically said, why don't you guys talk to this agent? So <laughs> Rob and I, in the same weekend we came out to visit, talked to an agent at William Morris. We both got representation. And within no time, he had some offers from studios. And now we're like, wow, this is becoming a real deal. So we just decided to go this uh, studio route. Can a writer enhance the role of a producer? Yeah, I mean, look, the writers make the producers look good. The producers uh, in this town are really just guys looking for good stories and the writers are really the ones that deserve the creative credit. There's a degree of creativity as a producer too, but it all starts with a great script. You don't realize how hard it is. I think I got lucky with waiting, but I read just so many bad scripts. Sometimes they're really great off the bat. That's a rarity. A lot of times you find something and it's a collaborative process where it's developed upon and then the comedians or the actors put another spin on it. And like we said, there's another movie created on the set and then there's like a third movie created in post where you sort of whittle down to the good stuff. So it's a wonderful collaborative art. And yes, they make producers look good. I was just telling you before, uh, Rob's got a movie um, about to hit theaters at the time of this recording. Uh, called Tag, based on the true life story of some 
kids that play tag and are adults later and they play tag. I, I don't see a lot of uh, trailers anymore. I did make an effort to see that one and I was already laughing. Look, Rob's writing, sometimes he can just kill me because he's so wrong, but he's, uh, he's got a, a certain cadence and, and some stuff that I just really admire. I think the tag is going to be great. I uh, recently challenged Rob to a, a real life game of tag. So I told him he's it. I was thinking about calling him before I came in tonight, but he'd probably bust in here and tag me. I don't want that. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He wouldn't do that. He doesn't know where you are. That would be pretty fantastic, though, because we're, we're recording in one of the only buildings left in L.A. with a hand crank elevator, that there is an elevator guy that you have to, that hand cranks the elevator. It's not automatic here. And for him to even go through all those hoops to get to you to that, that would be fantastic. You know, we did the attraction design for Tower of Terror at Disney. I was thinking of that when we came up in this old, creaky elevator. Uh, and your guy is sort of like a character as well that runs the elevator. Oh, yeah. Can a producer get typecast? Like you do one, this one type of movie, you find success, then you're people, whether it be studios, agents, whatever, want you to still make this type of movie. Definitely, definitely. I remember a funny moment when this guy had sent a script to me and it was about an egoic manager with a bitchy waitress with two stoner busboys with, had all the elements of waiting. And I had called him and I think I've, eventually he called me back and he thought he was in trouble. He thought I was coming to sue him because he heard about the movie that was about to come out. But he had written the same bones of a film that, that we had. And not only that, when, and when we were uh, in development, there was another movie that came out called Waiting about somebody else waiting tables. There was another movie called The Waiting Game. I think it was Molly Ringwald and maybe Eric Bogosian. A bunch of times we were like, wow, this... This movie is definitely uh, in the zeitgeist, and I'm glad that we teamed up with some quality uh, talent and other producers that really, I mean, some of these guys, I, I have to thank them all. They all know who they are that helped with this journey, but the, the actors themselves, just uh, Ryan Reynolds, Justin Long, Anna Ferris, Luis Guzman, Andy Milonakis, Dane Cook, all these guys were just fit the role so perfectly, and the archetypes were so strong that I think it helped us to find that cult following. So where did y'all eat then during the filming of Waiting? Like, take us, take us back really quick. Did, did all of you really eat at a place like Shenanigans? I mean, or did you, or were there some of the actors, if you want to give names, who would actually eat at a place like Shenanigans? Well, you know, when we first came to LA, Rob and I were like, let's do some research. Let's go to a chain restaurant and living here in West Hollywood, it was hard to find a chain restaurant. Like we're like, there's no Bennigan's around here. There's no shenanigans. There's no, there's no, nothing like shenanigans. I mean, eventually we found a Chili's. It's just such a unique place where people despise the chain restaurants in this TMZ, in this 30 mile zone. There's not a Bennigan's, is there? No. I don't think there is. I don't, I don't even think, yeah. It's like you even have to drive pretty far to find a Walmart from mm -hmm. here. It's bizarre. Dean is speaking the gospel. I, I don't know the legality of it, but in L.A. proper, not L.A. County, you're allowed to have, say, a fast food joint like a McDonald's, a Burger King, but there is no franchise like Applebee's, Chili's, or anything like that. You have to go to, say, Culver City, you know, which is outside of the L.A., or you have to go to Burbank or the Valley, which is technically L.A. County, but it's not in L.A. Yeah, you know your restaurants. You know your restaurants, sir. 
Now you worked, so you worked in restaurants. You told me before you worked at Animal and a few other places. It was waiting a thing that people talked about. All of the time. By the way, did you watch Kitchen Confidential? John Francis Daly, who's, who's a great actor and writer and now director, uh, went on from waiting to do a TV show called Kitchen Confidential. Right, with the, the TV show you're talking about, which uh, Bradley Cooper. I feel like we had sort of an early days cast. Recently we watched this movie on Netflix about the guys from National Lampoon. There's a documentary and a film as well. It's nice to see sort of like this group of comic actors that go on to just be amazing. And I felt like we were very lucky at that time to find a lot of those comedic actors. Look at the star of Waiting, Ryan Reynolds, which you said even before uh, we started recording, in a way he's kind of bringing uh, the same kind of humor in the Deadpool character. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Dolly. There's a unique moment in my life when I was waiting tables. I also worked for National Lampoons briefly, and I was hanging up a picture in the, one of the sets. It was called Glebe, and it was a Ryan Reynolds' picture of uh, him and Van Wilder. At least I think that's what it was. This is how I recollect it. Going all the way back to my childhood, to Saturday Night Live in the late 70s with uh, John Belushi and Steve Martin, there was just this wonderful sort of rock and roll spirit to comedy, this sort of subversive thing that my dad was one of the first people on the block to have a video camera. So we would do like SNL sketches or fake commercials. And I can't tell you how fulfilling it is to live out here and actually get to play around in this world for business. A writer question, because this is more geared also towards the writer. How can a writer make a restaurant or bar pop on the page? I think the way that a writer can make a bar or restaurant pop on the page is sort of finding those truisms. When people saw, I think it's an office space where they have the flair, the buttons on their suspenders. It's a wonderful thing where you're like, oh, I get that. I know that. It's just finding the familiar. You know, and I think you're, you're hitting on something because this is one thing that I'm learning whoever's reading the script, feel the place. So if I give the script to a producer, to a director, to an actor or actress, they can feel it. They can feel those buttons. They can feel the must. They can feel it instead of just showing you, you know, hey, I got Tiffany, fake Tiffany lights, but feel that. You know, it's interesting. At one point when we were making Waiting, they wanted us to have the script page count lower. So we went through, we removed all the description that we could. Rob, knowing that he was going to direct it, we just took the description out saying, we don't really need that. And that we got our page count down. We shaved some other stuff off of the script. But uh, a wonderful moment when I was in Florida, before I moved out here, my friend was working on Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. She sent me the script before it was made. And the script didn't have that much description throughout, but then you get to the moment where they go to this, uh, like the 50s diner that they dance in, the Travolta scene, and there's like almost a full page of description all of a sudden. Like you go from no description to like a full page of description of this diner, and it's just wonderful and almost comedic in the way that he put that in the script like that. Whoa. Whoa. No way. I I tried to do a Bill and Ted Keanu Reeves impression, but then Dean did it so much better because Dean actually was a professional Keanu Reeves impersonator. What's the secret of doing the ultimate Keanu Reeves impression? Because I try all the time. I always, I mean, I'm going to butcher it again, but I, I just love even to pretend being like, yo, Morpheus, I'm Neo. I do bullet time. When I was working at Disney MGM Studios, I was a bad guy. I was usually a gangster or a cowboy. And like I was a gangster, I was sort of like, 
hunched over shoulders and almost a, uh, a uh, greetings and salutations, like a uh, Christian Slater sort of a character. And you get sort of tense and like, uh, and then at night I got to become Keanu who was sort of like shoulders down, <clears throat> chest out, lower your octave a little, you know, have some sort of like, you got to make sure your neck's a little elastic. I remember staring at a, t- a tree and trying to find this like Zen Keanu-ness and you're like, yeah, this is it. And then you get your buddy with you, who's Bill, and we would play bongos back and forth, and we would echo each other like, doom chicka doom doom chicka doom doom And so we would get in each other's rhythm, and then we could just slap a high five without looking, you're like, yeah, yeah, whoosh. And you, know, and you get into this wonderful rhythm, and you get like 2,500 people screaming in the, in the stands because they've all been drinking yards of beer, and, and you've got these custom-made electric guitars, or you do Nirvana covers, and when you kick your foot, somebody up in the up in the pyro booth makes something blow up, and then you get to sword fight with Darth Vader, and, and they do all the sound effects, and you jump off of buildings and swing on ropes, and it was like the best ever uh, job. If there was a John Wick thirty that came out tomorrow, and it's number thirty, that is a franchise I will see every single John Wick imaginable. I got to meet him at Orso at the restaurant one day. It's automatically coming out like the Keanu-ness. And I tried to tone it down and super nice, super humble. I can't say enough nice things. I've met him a few times since then. Go and watch old interviews from when he was doing Bill and Ted, uh, when he's playing himself. It's, it's wonderful to see. I love films that can bring out sort of a, still, a silly, good-hearted spirit. And I think that's what the Bill and Ted movies are. I can't wait for the next one. Restaurant Fiction has invited you to Shenanigans, Seven Stars. What are you ordering? What are you eating? All right, if I'm going to Shenanigans, I am going to get, <laughs> I'm going to, I think it was a Benigans I went into and I got this thing, I think it's called a Monte, Monte Cristo. It's like some, is it like, it's like a fried ham sandwich that you dip in jelly or something ridiculous that seems so appropriate for uh, a restaurant like that. So I'm going to go with that. Yeah. Uh, and Luis Guzman was in Monte Cristo. Count of Monte Cristo, I believe. I think. Yeah, see how I bring that back? Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. No way. Thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. Dean, remember, guys, if you want to listen or watch any of Dean's work, Ren Waiting, go on his IMDb, see what he's done and buy it, rent it, watch it, stream it. A little side note, what Dean and I talked about off-grid was Dean's favorite L.A. Eats. He loves the Korean fusion forage-type R&D kitchen called Beiru or Baru. It is in Hollywood on Normandy and Santa Monica. As well as he loves, loves, loves all the speakeasies by the, uh, I believe, the Houston Brothers. I believe they do uh, Last Call, or excuse me, Good Time at Davy Wayne's. And they own a slew of other awesome speakeasies, including one of the most kick-ass magic clubs in town. So anyway, you might even catch Dean there. Where can you find me? Well, you can find me here on iTunes. You can listen to part one of the interview with Dean and all of the other episodes, as well as read our reviews at www.restaurantfiction.com. My name is Monis Rose, and as always, keep it real, keep it fresh, and keep it on the flip side. Cut to...
Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. Lowe's is here to help pros put more toward their bottom line with special Labor Day savings on what you need to get the job done. Like $40 off your choice of a DeWalt 12-volt max drill or 12-volt max impact driver featuring DeWalt's all-new 12-volt battery platform, now just $99. And whether updating a property or building new homes, save up to 15% off select custom windows and doors. Whatever the day, whatever the job, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 9-1 U.S. only. Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's largest mortgage lender. Let's talk credit card debt for a minute. If you feel you're carrying too much of it, you're not alone. The average household in the U.S. carries over $8,000 in credit card debt. Ready for some good news? With a cash-out refinance from Quicken Loans, you can quickly and easily put some of the equity in your home to good use by paying off a lot of that high-interest credit card debt. A great way to take cash out is with our 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. The rate today on our 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is 4.125%, APR 4.22%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN to learn how taking cash out with a 30-year fixed mortgage might be the right solution for you. And for a record nine years in a row, J.D. Power has ranked Quicken Loans highest in the nation in customer satisfaction for primary mortgage origination. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. For J.D. Power award information, visit jdpower.com. Rate subject to change. Pay 0.88% fee to receive this discounted rate. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030.